Hi there, I'm Casey Smith and you're listening to Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. On the show this week, I'm joined by the Barrow Raiders chairman, Steve Neal. After just three games played, Barrow sit top of the tree in League One and are hoping to go the season unbeaten. A few weeks ago, they announced the signing of former Super League and Toronto player, Hakeem Maloudi, and I started off by asking how the signing came about. Well, basically, we were um, we lost Ryan Shaw for a number of weeks and he, he was probably one of our big signings of the pre-season, really. He, um, he came from Lee via Hulkier and has had a long Super League career. So we, we probably lost him for 10 to 12 weeks. So we felt we were just a little bit weak in the, in the centre position and, and wanted to... Uh, have a bit more competition for places, so we, we basically went around and uh, tried to find out what was out there, really. And um, it just worked out well because Hakim had been told by the French coach that he needed to be playing in England over the summer in order to, for him to make the world uh, the, the, the France World Cup squad. Yeah. So, um, given the fact that he was looking for an opportunity in in England, uh, we probably just came up. For him at the, at the right time, uh, good fortune really. Yeah. And uh, we managed to, you know, negotiate a contract uh, through through his agent, and uh, happily for us, he, he agreed to sign. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody had picked him up. You know, uh, what do you think he's going to add for the side, apart oh, from tries, I mean, obviously? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're obviously delighted with the signing. Is his obvious Super League quality, yeah. and, and we were we were surprised that he was available. Um, so I mean, I, we watched videos of him last year in Super League for Toronto, and it was it was probably their standout player, um, scoring tries, setting up tries, yeah, uh, big tackles. Uh, so he's just going to be an expensive player for us. You know, uh, just probably the, the cherry on the cake, really, in terms of. Uh, what we put together, we felt as though we had a strong squad anyway. But we're not, as I say, this is a bit of an X factor signing for us. And, yeah, you know, just, just totally delighted that he's uh, he's agreed to come us. It's probably two levels too low for him, really. Yeah, you know, coming in the league one, he could definitely do a job in Super League, and, and we were surprised, pleasantly surprised that no one had picked him up and he was available. So, you know, their loss, all the other clubs is out again. Yeah. Uh, and, and what are the expectations for this season? Is it, you know, getting back into the championship? Absolutely. I mean, um, no secret of that. Um, no. We want, we want to win the league. Um, you know, as as champions to take out the playoffs scenario. I mean, I won't be too disappointed if we were. If you gave me a, a route to the promotion through the playoffs, to, you know, I'd, I'd probably take it. But. Uh, we feel as though we've put, put a squad together that, that's capable of winning the league. Uh, I mean, obviously it's one, one game at a time, as every every coach will tell you. But um, you know, we, we've, we've, we've done two out of two, and, and then next week we'll be looking for three out of three, and, and so on. So, what's that? I, I don't I don't know if we'll go the season unbeaten, but I mean, that's not you know the be all and end all. Promotion yeah. is, is the be all and end all. But I, I think we've got a squad that is capable of winning every game. Yeah. And in in the last few years, you, your team's been around League One and Championship. You're obviously looking back to get in into the Championship, uh, but then you know, is it solidifying the position in the Championship, or are, are you looking even further on than that? Oh, absolutely, we're looking further. Um, 
we've we've probably learned a few lessons from our time in the championship. Um, we, obviously, we got promoted, and the first season we we, we stayed up, uh, played reasonably well, but, but but there were occasions where we had a lot of injury problems, and we went through some some poor spells. But we we got off to a really good start. I remember in that season we beat Lee, who had just come down from Super League, and we drew with Toronto, who uh, ended up you know being league leaders, uh, and we we uh, we felt we had a good season when we when we had our our first choice side together. But you know, championship is very tough, and we, we suffered injuries, and then the season afterwards we were relegated, and the injuries really did bite deep into the squad. And although we had numbers, um, I don't feel that we had the quality. In the um, in the backup players, if you know, uh, I felt that we would have been probably better going with a smaller squad with with more quality than than, than the large squad that we went with, which was about 29, 30 players, but probably not quite good enough. And and, and that's going to be a lesson that we'll learn. We'll put we'll, we'll concentrate on put, putting together a squad that's more on quality than, than size. And um, and and we, we've got really strong ambition to, to become a top six side in the championship yeah. for, for the season, that, you know, the, the, our first season there. And, and then beyond that, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to grow the club and, you know, and we, we're making serious uh, consideration of actually winning the, winning the thing and, and getting promotion at Super League. And, and that's, that's that division for the club at the moment. Yeah, uh, and fans are coming back um, soon. I think your first fixtures are against North Wales Crusaders. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Oh, absolutely, obviously, De- delighted. Um, you know, we, we had our first home fixture yesterday, and uh, there was plenty of enthusiasm just by watching it through the, through the pay-per-view channels and uh, the streaming that was on offer. But uh, nothing beats having a crowd there, and, and uh, you know, the the the, the, the win yesterday has, has also whetted the fans' appetite. It was a great win yesterday against Keith Lee, so they they. Uh, you know they're just itching to return, and, uh, and and us as a club just want, you know want the fans back. And it, it, I I actually think you know we will get some really good numbers this year in terms of our crowd, and, and we're definitely looking at growing the crowd. We'll probably have to get COVID out of the way. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, you know really growing the crowd and getting getting something that we want size wise, but but uh, just to have them back on, on the thirtieth of May would be fantastic for us. Yeah, uh, and in terms of all the protocols around that, um, will tickets be on general sale or is it just down to season ticket holders at the moment? No, we've been very lucky actually um, in in terms of what our ground offers. um, It's actually quite a big ground in terms of surface area, the terracing. So we've worked with our local council um, and there are some calculations that you need to do based on as I say, the surface area of the, of the terrace in it and what we've been given in, in terms of uh, an allowable crowd is, is well above our average crowd actually so when you imagine Craven Parts had 21,000 in there in the dim and distant past when yeah. there was uh, no real focus on health and safety but you know that, that's the size of crowd you know that we could physically get in there so um, we, we, we've got a capacity from the council that, that we're happy with and, and, and it allows us to uh, you know promote the game and, and put the, the tickets on, on general sale. Yeah. Uh, 
and I've seen obviously quite a few clubs have got all sorts of different rules. You know, it's all stadiums are different, but quite a few are not selling food and drink. Is that um, something that you will be doing or not? Yeah, that's what we will we will be doing that right. as well. Um, we, we've uh, just got the new guidelines from the government today in terms of what you can and can't offer for, for your spectators. So, yeah. um, we, we'll be offering food and drink, and you know, hoping again to maximise income through through those streams as well. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a big focus on social distancing and such like, and managing queues, etc. But yeah. Um, the, the, there is uh, an exemption from sport to allow people to cure, um, you know, bars and and uh, and catering uh, establishments. So, so that's good. Uh, and, and yeah, we'll just try and bring as much money in as we possibly can because we, you know, obviously not had a crowd now for 13, 14 months. I think March last year was the last time we had a crowd on the ground. Yeah. And COVID, it's obviously been terrible for the sport, but I think it's given people opportunities of like doing things differently. You know, looking at different ways of doing things. And in obviously in your case, you've set up the beer garden. Uh, what a success that was uh, and is. Uh, tell us about that, basically. Yeah, well, basically, obviously, I mean, we rewind the clock all the way back to probably. You know, May, May, June last year, and uh, we, we were coming out of um, the, the lockdown restrictions, uh, and we, we basically decided as a board that we couldn't just feel sorry for ourselves, but we had to try and um, make the most of the opportunity that came through, through um, the hospitality, even though we couldn't have any any games in the ground. So, I mean, obviously, I think it's common knowledge that the outdoor environment is is with the ventilation is a safer environment. So, yeah. so we we we, um, we struck on the idea of having a, a big beer garden on the beach, <laughs> and, and thankfully we, we got some massive exposure. Uh, I'm not really sure why it all took off, but we got the nationals <laughs> involved, and uh, you know there, there was some interviews on you know some big radio stations and some TV as well. We, we, we came to see us as well, so they're yeah. all. A lot of positive stories that you know we, we were blessed with from the from the media in terms of promoting it, and uh, and um, it just seemed to resonate with the people of Barrow. They they, they, they took to it um, in a big way, and it, and it almost became the the number one venue for the town in that in that period between um, July opening and before you know we finally closed at the, at the back end of September, which a with the, the, the worst weather was coming, but b you know we were almost about to go into the second lockdown, if you will. So we've maximised it throughout that July, July, August and September period and managed to bring in some fantastic income to the club. And um, so fast forward and we're back in the lockdown throughout the, you know, the dark days of January and February. But again, we got the green light that we, we could reopen again in April. Again, that coincided with better weather. Um, but with rugby on the horizon, we, we thought, that we'd uh, take it off the pitch and uh, remodel some of the ground. So we knocked down some terracing and, and, and built more of a permanent marquee. And again, looking at the, uh, the outdoor hospitality that we could offer, the, the, A, it fit in with the uh, government regulations, but, but B, it, it is quite safe in terms of the ventilation, etc. So again, the, the public have taken to it and uh, we, we're just open weekends and it, it's been you know packed and and full and a little bit of normality for people. Um, 
and, and again, the people at Barrow have taken to it, and uh, it's just been a fantastic boost for the for the team and for the club. And uh, you know that has probably allowed us, you know, to, to make signings like Hakim Malouni yeah. on the back of the, the income streams that are coming in the club, and, and, and there's something now that's going to be a permanent fixture in the ground. Uh, we were behind closed doors yesterday, but as soon as the, the, the final hooter went, we allowed people into the, the marquee, and <laughs> and it, it just filled up. You know, by half past five, you know, we we're full again. It's bizarre that we can't watch games, but we could come and have a beer. But that's the way it is at the moment. Obviously, yeah. those restrictions have been lifted today, and uh, you know, it's just, as I say, it's just taken. Uh, whether it'll continue to take, I don't know, because obviously the rules change today, and people can go back into pubs. Well, I think it will. I think uh, you know, people like coming to us and. Uh, you know, it can only benefit the town and the club in particular. So, you know, really excited of, of what we've done and how we've diversified. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other clubs I think I've looked at as and thought, you know, that, that, that's pretty, pretty good what Barrow have got there. And, and they've, you know, repeated what we're doing and fair play to them. Yeah. And obviously there's some big events coming up, like, you know, the the Euros, the the Rugby World Cup, the Olympics, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can get, like, a, a screen out or something like that. Yeah, well, we've, we've, we've done, that's exactly what we've done. We've we've, we've hired a, a big screen for the Euros. So right. throughout June and early July, we've, we've got this big screen, which again is a, a remodeling of the ground. So that's going to be a, a fixture on part of the terracing. And, uh, you know, we just signed a deal for that a couple of weeks ago. And we've been selling tickets for the Euros uh, by, by the table. And we're almost... You know, we're not going too mad on how many we let in for the group stages. We'll, we'll see if we can manage things. Yeah. Uh, we're conscious of things getting out of hand sometimes at football, but um, but we're going to have a you know a decent sized crowd in the ground, and again, it's just uh, a massive opportunity in terms of income. And then further ahead, you know, we've got a couple of concerts lined up. Hopefully, during the twenty first, social distancing will end, and we've got concerts on the 9th and tenth of July. Um, and we've got Jordan Nath from Radio One coming as a DJ, and uh, so that, that that's quite a, a good thing for the town again. Um, that, that we had a concert last summer, and even in COVID times, we got over a thousand here, so that that, that, that was great. And uh, more income streams, yeah. is, you know, pleasing me as the chairman of the club. Yeah. Um, now. People might be thinking, you know, uh, what, what what about the pitch? Is it is it still in good condition? You know, with all the tables and what's the deal with that? Well, remarkably, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think the the fact that we didn't have our normal pre-season um, in January and uh, and February, where we you know basically ran the pitch for the season, we, we stayed off it uh, in in that spell and. and you know the team actually went into lockdown during January, so we weren't even training um, at the ground either. So it, it's had that period of uh, rest, if you will. Uh, didn't have to get any rain at all in April, so it became quite firm, and it's still firm now. So even though we're sort of putting tables on and off on a regular basis in between training and and uh, having the the beer garden open, it, the the pitch is in remarkable condition, and it's full credit to our groundsman that is on top of that, and you know. It's, Touch wood, it's all been good. But if, if it did get too bad, we, as I say, we've remodeled the ground, so we we we, we could just host uh, whatever we want to host off the pitch as well, um, and keep those income streams coming on. And hopefully, we'll be blessed with some good weather when the Euros and the concerts happen. Yeah, um, and 
obviously uh, in the wider context of rugby league, uh, of um, Super League has renegotiated the deal with Sky. Um, so, where do you see the future beyond twenty twenty two? Because I, d- I don't think Met uh, it's any funds are actually going to go down to the lower leagues. At anyway, um, uh, yeah. I'm not, to be honest with you, uh, I think we've known this for a while. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, in Championship League One, we, we, we've kind of known what was on the horizon, and you know that's partly the reason why we've been diversifying so much. We, we, we can't rely on the traditional income stream streams of, of you know TV money and and even crowds. You know, the, we, we, we've got to do other things. We've got to run it as a business, and that's what we've done at Barrow. So. I mean, obviously, you've got to be disappointed if you if you lose a significant significant income stream that the TV does give us. But um, in terms of uh, Barrow Red, as we're not feeling sorry for ourselves, we're just getting on with it, and uh, you know whatever will be will be. Um, in terms of what we get off TV, it gives us an opportunity to sell our own deal potentially to to another broadcaster if we can get the product right. So my focus is you know, is I'm not worrying about that, and uh, just continuing to grow the club. And, and, and in some respects, it, it becomes a level playing field uh, because you know teams at the top of the championship get a hell of a lot more money than than teams at the bottom are in League One. So you know if we all have to fight for every pound that we earn, you know I, I think we're in a strong position of, of bringing in some decent money ourselves. And uh, you, know, you know it might level things out a little bit in the championship and give us a more opportunity to pick up the better players. Yeah, there's been talk of a, a deal uh, with I, I think Premier Sports with the name mentioned. Uh, is that is that something you're aware of? Uh, I I'm aware that there's uh, negotiations with uh, some number of broadcasters. Uh, I, I don't believe there's a deal struck yet. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not party to, to those uh, discussions, uh, but I'm sure when 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 you know the NFL. Uh, agree something with a broadcaster, it'll be brought back to the clubs for discussion and, and approval. So, you know, probably watch this space from, from my part of view. You know, when we get to hear of it, something that's actually concrete and, and we've got to vote on. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of super, you know, not much money going to the lawyers? Because to me, uh, you know, Super League, they rely on everybody else as much as them. And I think. You know, even though they've got less money, I think to not put any down to the lower leagues for the good of the game is sort of a bit of a disgrace, really. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, what I said earlier about Barreras, you know, still being positive and such like, you know, that, that's all on God. But, yeah. But yeah, but I agree, you know, the, 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 the TV deal does need to flow down through the game even in the community game and, and, yeah. and funding for the rugby league itself in terms of the, the governance of the game and the provision of referees and, and, and development officers and, and such like. So that the Super League need to realise that you need a strong foundation uh, or else those players of tomorrow are not going to arrive and they're either going to arrive from the community game or, you know, there's a lot of good players who have come from League One of the Championship, you know, you, we provide our own Joe Bullock to Wigan, who's, who's doing going well, and there's other players that have come from, you know, I think of Alex Wormsley at Saints, and you know, players like Chris Hill at Warrington, who's at Lee, and you know, some really good, strong international players have have, have uh, learned the trade in the Championship and League One, 
and then made the breakthrough in the Super League. So that's a definite route yeah. of, uh, of, of progression for some really good players. So if we want to make you know England the best it can be and the Super League clubs the best they can be, then then uh, you know putting some of the League One and Championship clubs in jeopardy is not a great thing. And so we should be trying to look after the whole game. Uh, and certainly not just Super League, and, and hopefully the Super League clubs appreciate that. Uh, we haven't had anything official yet as to yeah. how the funding is going to be uh, distributed, uh, but obviously the deal that was struck um, is a lot lower than, than, than the previous deal, and, and I think there was provision in the last contract that if the deal was lower, yeah. then it would be the Championship clubs and the League One clubs that would almost suffer first, if you will. So yeah. whether that can be changed, I don't know. Um, and obviously, there's talk of the Super League and now, you know, the Rugby Football League getting back together yeah. and not being two separate organisations, and that may well change the dynamics of, 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 you know, how that funding is distributed. So, again, I'm not, I'm not party to that, but you would hope that, that, that the bigger picture is seen by these Super League chairmen and and they think of the whole game rather than just, you know, their own club of, and what they can get. Steve Neal there. Now, before we discuss the action on the field, there's been a big furore over the academies. Because Hull KR, Bradford and Castleford have been told they're not going to be given an elite academy status. Which, to my knowledge, is bizarre because they've been producing some good players over the years. What is strange is the RFL have said that they had scope to hand out 12 licences and yet they've only given out 10. So what I don't really understand is why would, if, if, if you've got the wherewithal to have 12 elite licences, why wouldn't you use them all? Why, why would you hold two back? It does not make any sense whatsoever, especially when those three clubs already have academies and they already have a good track record of play- making players. You know, even handing it out to a team who's not set one up who wants to. It's clearly not about funding because they could have given 12. Just do not make any sense. And the RFL have not covered themselves in glory yet again. And they've got form in this academy nonsense because they didn't allow Sheffield... Uh, back in 2016, their tier two academy status either, so it, it's a big bad move for them. Interestingly, there's been talk of licensing returning at the same time, you know, removing promotion and relegation like they did uh, 10 or so years ago. And of course, everybody would have to bid for those licenses. And wouldn't it look good if you had you know, oh, my club's got an elite academy. And it would stand them in good stead, wouldn't it? Oh, the, the ten teams they've given it to, by the way, uh, Catalan Dragons, Huddersfield, Hull FC, Leeds, London, Newcastle, St. Helens, Wakefield, Warrington and Wigan. So, you know, if that is what's going to happen and you've got them ten, that those ten teams will be... Uh, you know, in a in a licensed super league, which for for starters it might not be happening, and for second, th- those ten teams might not be getting the licenses. But let's just work on the proviso that they are, because 
whatever te- whatever teams that you pick, there's going to be some who are peed off about it, who have missed out. So, you know, let's work on that assumption. So then you're going to kick out Salford, you're going to kick out Hull KR, you're going to kick out Castleford, and you're going to kick out Lee. And you're saying to teams uh, like Toulouse, like Featherstone, like York, that, okay, you've been doing well in the pre- uh, recent years, but sorry, not good enough. Well, to me, that is utterly nonsensical. I don't get it. I really don't. Let's look at the main reason for it. What, so people say it will stabilise clubs and, you know, because they're not at threat of relegation, they'll be able to look at more long-term than short-term because they'll have a safety net and they'll look, look at growing the game more rather than signing a player to sort of keep them afloat kind of thing. So, in principle, that seems logical. But, can I just ask? Uh, So, my understanding is when it goes to licensing, it's going to go to a 10-team competition. That's what what the rumours are anyway. Uh, So, how is reducing the competition to 10 teams and having no relegation going to actually stabilise the clubs in the top division? How is it going to do that? You know, these clubs, they're already in the brown stuff. The deal, the new Sky TV deal, it's considerably less. So, reducing it to 10 teams, okay, they're going to get a bit of extra money. How long for? The deal's only for two years. Look at the look at the competition now. 12 teams, okay, it's less money. So, why are Sky going to pay more money for less teams in two years? Can you explain that one to me? Oh, why? What about anybody else? BBC, Amazon, you know, all the all the streaming services. BT. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna bother, are they? And there there already are too many repeat fixtures. For me, a big reason why the product has gone stale is because of these superly chairman self-interest and short-termism. And I'm afraid, despite its intentions of giving clubs more stable futures and looking for a more long-term, licensing actually is just another short-term idea. Having no relegation, it's not going to improve your crowds, it's not going to make people suddenly interested in the game, and it's not going to stop clubs losing money every single week. It's not. These teams who are in Super League now, there's only one team who gets relegated in the top flight, just one. It's not a massive number, is it? And let's look. Let's just have a look at when these teams in Super League were last relegated. You might be surprised, you might not be. Wigan, when were they last relegated from the top division? 1980. Saints? Well, you've got to go back to nearly 120 years. Uh, Catalan Dragons, never. Warrington, never. Hull FC, 1994. Castleford, 2006. Huddersfield, 2001. I think you're getting a picture here. Hull KR, 2016. Leeds, never. 
Wakefield 1995, 2007 for Salford and Lee 2018, although they've only just come back into the division. So most of those clubs there have been in the top flight for the duration of my lifetime, uh, some considerably longer. So come on, let's not. Let's not look at this and say, oh, well, you know, the reason it's all gone tits up is, is because we, 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 we have promotion and relegation. It, it, it's not the case, and it's not, it's not going to solve any issues whatsoever because, you know, it's not the cause of the issues. Whatever licensing is going to allow them to do is what they could have done already. None of these clubs are ever in threat of relegation. Most of them aren't anyway. So it's not going to make a blind bit of difference. Now, and let's look. Salford, they've been to a grand final. They got to the Challenge Cup final recently. Are we going to say they're not worthy of a licence? Especially now if they forced out of Salford at AJ Bell Stadium. Who's going to replace them? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Newcastle? They seem to be the on vogue team at the moment, don't they? For whatever reason. I'm sure they're doing a lot of hard work to grow the game, but no harder than anybody else. They lost out to Oldham in 2019 in League One, and Oldham got promoted instead. The only reason they're in the Championship right now is because the RFL put them there. And let's be honest, most of it is down to the fact that they call Newcastle, let's be honest. And how are they doing now? Well, they're currently in the relegation zone. And crowds, pre-lockdown, they weren't massive. I think it were, it's in the 500, 700, 1000, 1500 at the most. So let's not pretend they're going to pull in some magic crowd out of nowhere. So they're no different from anybody else. And you may well say, well, Newcastle have to be given a couple of years to stabilise and to grow. Well, I'm sure that's the same for Toulouse, Bradford, Featherstone, Batley, York, every single team in the freeing championship, for God's sake. And let's just look at the back end of December last year, because... Karen Mohouse, non-executive director of the RFL, said, and I quote, on promotion and relegation and licensing, she said, it's so instilled in the British psyche that you should get promotion or relegation based on how you perform on the field rather than it being a bunch of people in suits in an office. And I think that's right. That's why we turn up to watch sport, isn't it? To see the drama and know that results are meaningful and they are what counts. I can't see us going back to formal licensing where it's all determined by that. But I'd be really supportive of funding being more determined by what's happening off the field of play. And I think that's what drives behaviours. And then she goes on to say that's what we already see in the Championship and League One. So... (laughs) Are they going to renege on that? (laughs) You'd sincerely hope not, but I wouldn't be surprised. That's my thoughts on licensing anyway. 
Now, let's get on to all the action from round seven. Wigan remain the only unbeaten team, but even Wigan nearly came unstuck at the weekend. It was 17-16 against Salford. I think it was a shame for them because they were kind of the better team. Loads of effort. I think Salford could have done better on Wigan's first and second try. Danny Addy seemed to misjudge the uh, ball where it was going and then allowed Brad Singleton to score. And even the second try when Harry Smith uh, intercepted the short kick from Salford, they could have probably done better there, you know. I think they had four goals that gained Harry Smith down, but he broke three of every single one and then put in Liam Farrell to score. But we didn't get the points, even though they're not playing that well. And it's a funny old season because you've got Wigan first, Saints seconds, Catalans third, Royington fourth, Hull fifth. Now, the the positions are not strange, but I don't think any of them teams have actually been at the best for most of the season. You know what I've been saying about Saints not being at the best? I, thought, I don't think the, the Catalan Dragons have been too consistent. Warrington, they've been hit and miss. Same with Hull, really, and... Wigan, they've not they've not been flying either. So, is it a weak competition, or is it just teams that are, that below the usual suspects are actually better this year? Well, who knows? But it's making for an interesting season, I think. Uh, Warrington, they they beat Castleford quite convincingly, 30, 38 points to fourteen. Uh, it were pretty close at half time actually. And after the first try where Paul McShane pretty much just went through Warrington as if they weren't there and then gave it to uh, Jake Truman, you thought it was probably not going to be a good day for Warrington, but well, there was a class above Castleford really, the scoreline shows it. And Castleford might have been without key players, Nile Levels, uh, Holmes, um, Peter Matautia. But I don't think you can put it down to injuries. You know, if it was injuries, why was it neck and neck at half time? And in the second half, it weren't good enough, really. It was a capitulation. They they stopped playing for whatever reason. And they was all over the place for some of Warrington's tries. You know, I've seen less holes in a block of cheese than there was in the Castleford line. Also, Catalans ended Saints unbeaten run of six games to win 20 points to 16. You can't really say it's not been coming for Saints. They've not been convincing all year, have they? And yeah, they, they've won the games. They've won every one. Well, they've not now, but they've won them by very small margins. And I'm afraid you can't just keep relying on a tight defence to pull you through every single match. Will the return of Tommy Makinson get them back to the best? Well, it might do, but uh, the team was pretty much full strength against Catalans. And Catalan Dragons uh, were without Sam Tompkins. And it it was another game where the young Frenchman had to step in, and I think Arthur Marg and Mathieu Lager, they played quite well. And St. Helens couldn't really get anywhere near Catalan Dragons because they were so strong in defence. They didn't make many errors, which is always a key to winning games for Catalans. And top of the table now, it's Wigan. Uh, Saints are on 12 points. Wigan are ahead on 
uh, two extra points and Catalans are on 12 points as well. Uh, at this moment in time, if you're looking at the grand final, can you really pick a clear winner? I don't, I don't think you can. So that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Also, Lee, they lost out to Huddersfield, 44 points to 6. Another game where Lee have a good go. You know, they have it pretty much level at half-time. But then the other team pile on the pressure in the second half and they can't hold on. It's becoming a bit of a regular thing for Lee now. They've they've got to find a way of performing for a full 80 minutes. And they've got to find it out soon because they're the only side now without a win. And it's only that gap's only going to get bigger. And then they'll be straight back down before you know it. For them next is Hull KR. So they've got to win that. Or the, the, the pressure might be piling on the coach, I think. Wakefield, they got their first win. That was over Hull KR. I thought Wakefield might get the first win. You know, they've been knocking on the door for a while now. And it's a good job they did uh, get the win. Because next four for them, Huddersfield, Warrington, Castleford and then Wigan. So, tough fixtures coming up. And can I just say, what the hell was Sean Kenny Dell doing when he threw the ball back? I think he was the last man for Hull. And he threw the ball backwards. And uh, the Wakefield player, Arona, was well in, well behind him. And he just ran to the try line for 40-odd metres he ran. Nobody could catch him at all. Don't know what went through his head, but it, it, it was bizarre to watch. And Hull, they overcame Leeds 18 points to 12. Not really sure what to make of Hull. They, they've been solid most of the season, but then they threw, threw up that uh, strange Catalan performance, didn't they? Catalans are a good side, but I don't think Hull were at the best, but you know, they're back to winning ways. And they're not as inconsistent as they were under Lee Radford. So they've obviously improved. But they nearly let Leeds back into the game, actually. And can we just mention Conrad Hurrell? Because he had a, a pretty abysmal game. For for two of Hull's tries, they had him on strings, I think. You know, he, would, he was so slow. He was going one way and the player had already gone the other, you know, at the same time. So, not a good day for him. But that was it for the action in Super League. Into the Championship, uh, Toulouse, they got another win. Again, surprisingly, they beat Swinton, 66 points to 18. <laughs> the half-time scoreline actually told a very different story, though. It, it was 24-18 at half-time to Toulouse. And at one point, Swinton were actually winning. So I think you've got to give Swinton credit. You know, for a team who's lost every single one of the opening games, to put on a, a first-half performance like that, I think, you know, you can give them credit for that. And, you know, there, there is a massive golfing class. Swinton are, are fighting to stay up. And to lose, they could give some Super League clubs a run for the money.
so you know that's that's the the gap between the two really. For Swinton, their next three is Batley, um, Newcastle, and Halifax. I think they're going to have to replicate that first half because if they do, they've got every chance of winning, uh, getting points from those games. Bradford, they won convincingly. They won 33 points to eight. I don't think London were ever in that game, actually. Um, Halifax, they nailed Newcastle, 32 points to nil. I think for Halifax, that's twice in a row they've actually nailed uh, opponents now. I think Dewsbury, uh, not last week because the game were called off the week before, uh, they, Halifax won 36-0. Witness, they got back to winning ways against a newly promoted Whitehaven. Well, it's the first season that they've uh, in the championship. It was 44 points to six, which I think for Witness, that gives them a bit of confidence going into the Oldham game. Speaking of Oldham, they lost out to York. 34 points to 6. Oldham, another team who was in it, is in the game for quite a large period. You know, even in the second half, it were neck and neck. York weren't at the best, actually. And Oldham, they had a man sent off. Uh, I think it was in the first half, I'm not too sure. But, you know, even with a man sent off, they were, they were still battling away, which is always good you know for a team but eventually York with the extra man and the extra quality they, they finally edged in front and I think Oldham actually they've done alright this year you know they, they, they'll be looking at Witness next week and thinking they've got every chance and I think Witness will be looking at Oldham and thinking the exact same so I think that's going to be a good match uh, the other game Featherstone, they won big. They scored 50 points. Sheffield scored 18. Uh, For Sheffield now, it's four games without a win. And that's after such a good start as well. Which is a shame, but, you know, these things happen in the the Championship. It's very competitive this year. Uh, They've got Whitehaven next. I think you'd expect them to win that one. And Featherstone win again, you know... I'd like to see the game against Toulouse. See how they fur then. Uh, into League One, it was another loss for West Wales. They've become very accustomed to losing re- uh, in recent years, West Wales. Th- thought they might actually run a few teams a bit closer this year. <laughs> Didn't expect them to be anywhere other than near the bottom of the table. And alright, it's only been three games or whatever, but, you know, uh, Coventry beat them pretty easily, Rochdale beat them pretty easily, Doncaster beat them easily, it was 62 points to 24, on to the Cumbrian sides, they both won again, Workington beat North Wales 44 points to 16, and Barrow beat Hunslet 29 points to 6. London Scholars got the first win, um, they beat in... Coventry, 44 points to 26. And also, there was a crazy match between Keithley and Rochdale. It was, in the end, it was 43 points in Rochdale's favour, um, and Keithley scored 36. I think Rochdale, at several points in that match, had a, a very large 
margin over Keithley, but Keithley kept chipping away, and you know they nearly they nearly brought it back to level, but obviously um, the scoreline was too high to overcome. In the end, uh, so in League One, it's Workington and Barrow who are at the top. I think they're the only sides who are still unbeaten. And at the bottom is West Wales. They're the only side who've not won. But that's it for this week. I'll be back next Monday to do it all again. So see you next week.